0: And again, <clears throat> a few years ago, uh, my wife and I were tucked neatly into bed, sleeping in on a on a beautiful early Saturday morning, and our son Joe, he comes running into the room just as happy as he could be. He's jumping around and dancing, he's going, Mom, Dad, it snowed, it snowed, it snowed, and uh, you know. We're always happy when Joe's excited, but I wasn't excited enough to go, "Look, I've seen snow before." So Kathy, she she wakes up and she goes out and then she comes back and she says, "It's not snow." We mean it's not snow. We got toilet paper last night. <laughs> You ever have a misconception? You think what you're seeing is snow, like Joe, but in reality, it's just toilet paper all over the yard. And a few hours of cleanup, the the kids out in Yucca Valley loved us. So every once in a while, we'd end up on their route. As a, where as far as I know, Cole was part of the group that was teepeeing his own house. But anyhow. Anyways, it's kind of like how it is as we look in the scriptures today, as we look at uh, John chapter 17, in fact, if you want to open there with me, as we closed out John 16 last time, the Lord said, now, these things I have spoken to you that in me, you may have peace in the world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. He lays out for us what our expectation in this world should be. Our expectation in this world should be that we will experience tribulation. Life is going to be hard. We're going to go through difficult times. We're going to go through difficult times, but the Lord calls us, what? To be of good cheer. And I always, when I think about that, I always think about how Joe looked at the toilet paper. It's a little different than how we looked at it. You know, I looked at it like, holy cow, have you ever seen toilet paper in a choya? Do you all have cholla out here? (laughs) Cholla is a cactus with 800 million needles sticking off of it in every direction. And if you were to walk by a cholla and kick it, a big ball of cholla will stick on your shoe. Then you reach down to take it off your shoe and it's stuck on your hand. And then now what do you do? You grab it with your other hand, it's stuck in that hand, back and forth. You could go for hours with a cholla. I had to have somebody in the desert teach me how to do it. You use a comb. Now, do I look like I have a comb? (laughs) So, we take a comb and you put it underneath and then you can pop it off. That's the only way to get the choya off. But this choya is just covered with toilet paper. But when Joe saw it, he was all excited. He was of good cheer. Now, he was of good cheer because he thought it was snow, But it's that kind of attitude that the Lord wants us to have as we go through our life here. We're going to go through hard times, difficulties, guaranteed. Once I was listening to a a man on TV preaching the word. And as he was preaching, he made this promise. If you give your life to Jesus Christ, you're never going to have any problems again. And I thought, wow. Because that's not what Jesus said jesus said that he would be our peace but in this world we will have tribulation we're gonna have hard times and difficulties but he says be of good cheer because i have overcome the world why are we of good cheer because we're looking for jesus folks this place ain't our home when we get to heaven we get all the good and none of the bad doesn't that sound good We can enjoy all the best, and all the garbage is all washed away. So the Lord says, be of good cheer. This is not your home. Look forward to the place that you are going, the place that you're going to be. Now, as we look at John chapter 17, folks, we have an opportunity to eavesdrop. I guess if you really wanted to call something the Lord's Prayer, John chapter 17 would be it. John chapter 17 is Jesus praying to the Father. We get to hear every word he prayed. It's like we get to sit in on a conversation between Jesus and God the Father. Now he does this so that we can see, so that we can gather from his relationship with the Lord. There's a lot of things, so many things that we can pull out of John chapter 17. But one of the things we don't want to miss out on is is Jesus is going through This entire prayer, each of the things that he has done or accomplished, he is giving to us now to go and be his hands and feet, right? To go into the world and and fill that void, as Jesus leaves, he he rolls that responsibility over to his church. And so, as he's praying to the Lord, we're just going to jump into it. He's on his journey right now. He hasn't reached yet. Uh, The Garden of Gethsemane. He hasn't crossed the Kidron, but he's on his way from the upper room down this walkway down to the Mount of Olives. So as he's going, he prays. As he prays, it says in verse 17 or chapter 17, verse 1, Jesus spoke these words as he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. That's it. 24 hours, it's all over. Less than 24 hours. This is, this is going to all become uh, be accomplished. He's just a, a couple of hours at most away from being arrested. Judas is already probably at Caiaphas's house putting together the group of soldiers that would go get him. And Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, knowing that his time was there. This, by the way, is the seventh and final time that Jesus says, my hour has come. The seventh and final time that he lays it out. This is the time headed to the cross. And he calls his, he calls the Lord Father. He lets us in to this relationship between a son and his father. But folks, I, I want you to, to, to recognize something as we continue to study and in a, in, in, uh, in a couple of weeks we'll be at the, at the crucifixion moving forward. Listen, there is only one time Jesus doesn't call His father, father. And it was from the cross. When he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's interesting because he's quoting the first verse of Psalm 22. And if you read Psalm 22, it's an exact description of crucifixion and and what Jesus was going through on the cross in Psalm 22, 800 years before crucifixion was even invented. And so that's the only time from the cross as we see the sin of the world poured out upon Jesus Christ in that place that he calls his father God. But here he says, Father, my hour has come. So glorify your son. But to what purpose that your son may also glorify you? Folks, that word glorify is is the word doxadso. It means to put in its rightful place. To put in its rightful place. Yeah, I, I, I think about Philippians chapter 2 verse 5. That says that, that he was in the form of God. Did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. But he emptied himself. Made himself of no reputation. And as he's looking toward the cross. What's he saying to his father? Put me in that rightful place. So that I can put you in the rightful place. In that right place. That place that is so deserving. He calls out for that glorifying. And then as you have given him authority over all flesh. That he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. Listen to what it says. As you have given him, him Jesus, authority over all flesh. Jesus has authority over all flesh. Folks, what held him to the cross? It was not a Roman nail. What put him on the cross? It was not the soldier's ability to lay him on the cross. Jesus had authority over all flesh. That means all flesh. Jesus had authority over it all. What kept him on the cross was his love for me and you. The love that he has for us. That kept him on the cross. That kept him there as he stands before Almighty God, declaring that God had given him authority over all flesh. And in verse 3, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Now that word know is not just intellectual assent. Have you ever met people that will say to you, "Oh, I believe in God. Well, I believe in God. Well, great. The book of James says that the, the demons believe in God and tremble. It's not saving faith. What is the knowledge that he's talking about? He's talking about that experiential knowledge. That, that knowledge is more than intellectual ascent. It's got the other 12, 18 inches from the head to the heart. It's something inside. It's that knowledge that, that is applying, that is pulling, that is desiring... That Jesus Christ be inside of us. Just as Jesus spoke in John 6. That we would eat of his flesh and drink of his blood. That he would be a part of who we are. Not just knowledge that he exists. It's easy to say I believe in God. I believe there's God out there. You know. Somewhere in the sweet by and by. The pie in the sky. All that good things that, that folk can say. Jesus is saying here that they might know you, that they might have a relationship with you. Not just intellectual ascent, it's deeper, it's more. It's more than that. And then in verse 4, as he continues on in his prayer, he's going to begin building nine different things for you and I. That you and I, if we want to enjoy the blessing of what it is to live a life, totally and completely surrender to God, Jesus outlines it for us right here. He's going to give us nine things as we go through the whole prayer. And as we look at this whole prayer, the first one that he says here is in verse 4. I have glorified you. Jesus' goal was to make sure that God the Father was kept in that rightful place, that he was given that rightful place as Almighty God, And Jesus, in his life, constantly lived his life to glorify God. It wasn't to glorify himself. It wasn't to see his name up in lights, but to bring glory to the Father. Now, if we want to understand what it is, totally submitted and committed unto Almighty God in our lives, and that's something that we have to learn to do too. That all glory goes to the Father. That we live... To glorify Him. Not to glorify self. We live to glorify Him. So that we like Jesus can say, Hey, I have glorified you. For whenever something happens, whenever something good takes place, whenever we experience the blessings that God has for us, those are gifts from God. We want to glorify Him. It's not me. It's you. And so that is where Jesus Christ was. Because in his entire earthly ministry, he accomplished everything that he did through the power of the Holy Spirit and in submission to God the Father. Philippians 25 8 tells us he emptied himself. He set aside his ability, set aside his right, and he came still fully God, but not utilizing his power, leaning upon the Father and the Holy Spirit. So in all that he did, he would be able to say, I've only said the things the Father gave me to say. I've only done the things the Father gave me to do. He lived his life to the glory of the Father. We want to experience that fullness of of life that Jesus Christ had. It's the first thing he lays out for us. That we learn, that we live our lives to the glory of the Father. And then look what he says, secondly, I have glorified you on the earth, secondly... I have finished the work which you gave me to do. You notice he didn't say, I have finished the work that the people want me to do. He said, I have finished the work that you gave me to do. Now, if we went down and we started to question the folks and said, hey, you know, Jesus said that he's completed the work. If we were standing, guys, by the gate beautiful, there would be right there at the gate beautiful a man who had been lame since birth who could not walk, who could not move, whom every time Jesus walked up the southern steps into the temple, he would pass this lame man, and Jesus never healed him. You think he felt like Jesus' work was done? Hey, I'm still lame. I see you walk by all the time, and I I hear about you healing all these other people, but I'm not healed. I'm not healed. Jesus said, I have finished the work you gave me to do, the Father. And that needs to be our heart as well. Are you willing to finish the work that God gives you? Because for each and every one of us, folks, God hasn't given us every gift that's listed in the Scripture, but He has given us gifts. God hasn't given us every call that there is in the Scripture, but He has called you. God does have a work for you to do. Have you finished that work? There will be no end to the list of things to do, right? There's no end. There's always something that needs done. Today, even more. So I didn't even know I'm supposed to shake my trees. Nobody told me that. I was afraid I'd shake the tree. I'd get a frozen apple hit me in the head. There's always work to be done, but that's not the important part. It's not what's urgent, it's what's important. What's important is what God has called you to. And being faithful to complete what God has called you to do. There's never-ending flood of needs, folks. We have needs it's always in children's ministry, we need help on Wednesday night. We need help on Sunday morning. We need help on Sunday night. There's always a list of needs, but there is a person God has called. And Jesus was able to say right here, I have finished the work you gave me. What a great thing to be able to say, right? At the, at the end of our lives, when when time is finished, to be able to say, I finished the work you gave me to do. So we want to we live in that place where we're, we're knowing, we're learning, we're desiring for the Lord to guide us and lead us and to show us. And that we not get caught up in the busyness, because like I said, there's no end. But do what God has called you to do. Know what God has called you to do. You won't be able to make it quiet. You won't be able to make that voice go away. Jeremiah, when he was called to go preach to a group of people who hated him his whole life, never liked one word that Jeremiah said. He would preach, people would boo. He would preach, they'd throw him in prison. He would preach, they would call him a traitor to his country. And one day he said, I'm done. I ain't preaching, not another word. I'm not saying another word. I'm finished. And the Bible says that the word of God burned in his heart like a hot poker and he could not keep silent. Because he was called. And so he did. And we want to recognize that calling in our life and fulfill the work God gave us to do. The work that God has given us. So scripture goes on. In verse 5, he says now, and now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. You hear what Jesus is saying in verse 5? By the way, the first five verses are the only part of the prayer Jesus prays for himself. First five verses. He's saying, restore me to the glory I had before the world was. Restore me. That's the work that God is going to do in the son's life. And the son prays. Now when the son prays for the father, what did Jesus say? If you pray anything according to my name, it will be done, right? If you pray anything according to my name. Now that phrase name means that if you pray anything according to my character, my attributes, my nature. Well here we see Jesus praying to God. You think God's not going to do it? No, he's praying directly in accordance with God's nature and attributes. And he's saying, hey, glorify me with the glory I had before all this began. Before the incarnation, before I walked on earth as a man. Glorify me, put me back in that rightful place. That rightful place. And then he gives us the third the third element, the third key, if you will. To to success or a victorious Christian walk and that is this I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world I have manifested your name that word manifested literally means I have lived out who you are my life in the things that I do they are all about you god they're all about you everything that jesus did he lived out for us on earth who god is not just said it he did it he did those things he walked forward in those things so check it out we look at it and we see things in the scripture yahweh nisi Yahweh Nisi is, the Lord is my victory. Yahweh Rophe, the Lord is my healer. Yahweh Rohai, the the Lord, uh, my shepherd. But here's one we don't want to forget. Yahweh Shua. Yahweh Shua. God is my salvation. It may sound familiar like another name. Yahoshua. Joshua. God is my salvation. Joshua in the Greek is Jesus. Jesus' name was God is salvation. Yahweh Shua. I have lived out who you are. I have lived out your nature and attributes. I have lived out what you're about. When we look at our lives, this is what it means to live In the fear of God. To live in the fear of God is to live out the nature and attributes of God. Check it out. This is what he's talking about, man. To live these things out. To to act these things through. That we would allow who God is. That's the fear of God. To live out according to his nature. That means I don't want to do anything that casts a bad light on him. That's living in the fear of God. What does the Bible say? The fear of God is what? The beginning of wisdom. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. That fear of God, folks, that's it. Right there. Living out the attributes of God. His nature. What is it that, that God would do? We used to, to have them bracelets. You remember them. What would Jesus do? Became quite the little rage for a while. But the concept is right, isn't it? That we live out. We manifest. Who God is in what we do. So this, again, is another key to that, that submitted, committed life to the Father that Jesus provides us an example for. I have lived out your name to the men that you have given me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word." Really? They had? Peter's going to deny him three times in in less than an hour and a half, two hours. Peter's going to deny him. All the disciples are going to run away. Yet they had kept his word. How had they kept his word? Folks, our performance is all based on relation. They had kept his word because of their relationship to Jesus Christ. Because they loved him, he imputed unto them righteousness. How was it that Abraham was made righteous in the Old Testament? The Bible says Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. What does that mean? That means Abraham put all his faith, his trust, his hope. He loved God more than anything else. And God imputed unto him righteousness. The same thing that Jesus is saying here. Hey, they've kept your word. They've kept your word because they are in a relationship with me. Now, our performance, folks, it's not always all that great, right? But it's all about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, that doesn't mean we're not attempting to walk in the right direction. We are. For if you love Jesus, 1 John tells us, love will obey. Love will obey. Not because it has to, but because simply of the attribute of love. It requires obedience. It requires a giving of self. So when we love Christ, we fulfill the law. All the law and the prophets are fulfilled in this, that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. All fulfilled in that relationship with Jesus Christ. The other thing I want you to see, we often look at Jesus Christ as a gift to us, don't we? About every Christmas, we think about the greatest gift ever given. When the father gave his son. Well, I want you to look at the other side of that. Each one of you are God's gift to his son. Did you see what it said? He said in uh, in verse 6, they were yours, you gave them to me. We're his gift. He's speaking specifically about the 11 disciples here. They're His gift given by the Father over and over and over again. We're going to see that they're the ones, that we're the ones given by God to the Son. We're His gift. We're His prize. We are all trophies of God's grace given to the Son for what the Son has given for us. In verse 7, Now they have known that all things that you have given me are from you. Now again, that known, it's not that concept of intellectual assent, but it's that they have realized, they have experienced, they have seen it, they have laid hands on it, they know all things are from you. All things had come from the Father and worked through the Father, through the Son. And then he lays out this Fourth key to being committed and submitted unto the Lord. He says, for I have given to them the words which you have given me. I have given to them the words which you have given to me. The word, words, is the word rima. It it means that spoken word. That just right word for that just right moment. We're not necessarily speaking yet. We will in a moment. We're not necessarily yet speaking about the word of God. We're speaking about that spoken word, that word that God gives his people, that perfect word for the perfect moment. For example, Jesus is, is resting at a, at a well, Jacob's well. Remember, a woman come to him in the middle of the day to draw water, not when any of the other women came. And what was it that Jesus said to her as they began to the talk? He said, well, you spoke rightly for You do not have a husband. You've had five. And the one that you're with right now is not your husband. That was a perfect word for the perfect moment given by God to the Son to affect that woman's life. That was rima. That spoken word. You know how the scripture declares to us in Ephesians chapter 6. In fact, if you want to look there with me, you can, you can turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17. In Ephesians 6, verse 17, it says, Now take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Take the sword. That sword is a machaira. Machaira was a short, precise Sword, the kind of a sword that you would use to be surgically precise. And the word used for word of God is rima. That spoken word, that perfect word, that just right word... To reach in and touch someone's life. Didn't Jesus tell his disciples, listen, don't worry about what you're going to say. For the Holy Spirit will give you utterance when it's time. Have you ever experienced sitting with someone who's hurting or needful and you have this verse in your head or you have this, this word or this illustration or this story? Something that you share with them that was exactly what they needed. Not something you thought about or that you had planned, but it just came. It just came to you. That's the Rima. That's the Makira sword. That's that precise sword going right to the exact spot. Doing that perfect surgery on someone's life with the exacting word given by the Father. This is what Jesus is talking about here. I have given them your words. What the Father spoke to him, he said. That's what he's talking about here. That Rima. That rima, that spoken word, that given word. Folks, if we want to understand being committed and submitted to the Father, probably every one of us has experienced at one time or another this desire within us to say something to someone. Maybe you've done it. Maybe you've packed it away. For the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. God won't make you do anything. But when God gives us that rima, that word, we want to share it. We want to share what the Lord has given us to share. That perfect word for that exact moment. But in order to have that, we have to be walking in the spirit, right? We're walking in the flesh. You're not going to hear the rima. You're going to hear all, them other, all that other noise in your mind. We want to have that exacting word, that perfect word, that just right word. To reach into someone's life and to affect them with all that the Lord has desired to touch them with. He says, for I have given to them the words you have given to me. And they have received them and have known surely that I came forth from you. And they have believed that you sent me. So I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me. For they are yours. Again, he talks about... We being a gift to Him. They belong to the Lord, but they're a gift to the Son. But listen, He prays for them. He's praying for the disciples now. I pray for them, but not for the world. Now that word for world means that world system. He doesn't pray for the world system. Now the Bible tells in John 3, 16, right? That God so loved the world. He's talking about the people. When he's talking about I'm not praying for the world, he's talking about that system, all the chaos, all the mess. He he don't pray about that. He prays for them, his own. He prays for them. The scripture lays out for us that he's at the right hand of the Father and he lives to always make intercession for us. Isn't it great to know that Jesus, while he's praying here in the scripture, he was also praying for us right now. He's praying for us this week. He's lifting us up, just like Peter. When Peter was going to fall, Jesus said, you know, Peter, Satan desires to sift you like wheat. But what did he say next? I have prayed for you. And when you are renewed, when you are strengthened, strengthen the brethren. When you're brought back, when you're brought into the fold again, strengthen the brethren. He knew Peter was going to fall, but he was praying for him. He knows you and I are going to fall, stumble, make mistakes, but he's praying for us. He's praying for us in our hardship, in the difficulties. He's praying for us, reaching out to us with that loving, almighty word that God has given him. I pray for them. In verse 10, and all mine are yours, and all yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now there's only one person that can say all that belongs to God belongs to him. Right? Someone else that is God. All gods. I can say all mine are gods. But I can't say all gods are mine. All that belongs to him doesn't belong to me. But the Son could say this. The Son because he shares in in that divine nature, in that divine attribute. And then in verse 11, now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you Holy Father, keep Through your name, those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. Who did Jesus in charge to keep those who are being saved? He charged the Father, Yahweh Shua. God is salvation. According to God's attribute, can you then just stumble out of God's hand? No. No. Because then it would go against God's divine nature. God wasn't able to keep you. If you put yourselves into God's hands, God is able to keep you. He's able to keep me. I couldn't keep myself. You couldn't keep yourself. We would mess up. But it doesn't depend on us. It depends on Him. We put our faith and trust in Him. And it is God who keeps us. It is God who has hit us in His hands. And while I was with them in the world, here is now the fifth thing. I kept them in your name. I kept them in your name. We want to understand what it is to be committed and submitted to God. Then we need to learn to keep folks like the Apostle Paul said, I keep you in my heart. To see a brother or sister the way God sees them. That's a little tricky sometimes, isn't it? I mean, I can see your brother or sister how I see him. I could see him as annoying, or I can see him as fun, or I could see him as a number of things, but do I see him the way God sees them? Do I see him as one of his little lambs, one of his sheep, one of those for whom He cares? Jesus said, "While I was here, I kept them in your name. I held them." I watched over them. My hands were upon them. This is what he's laying out for us here. That he kept them. Those whom you gave me, I have kept. And none of them is lost except the son of perdition. That the scripture might be fulfilled. Son of perdition. That word perdition means waste. Do you remember what Judas said? The, the first recorded words. We went through the, the gospel of John. And we saw Mary anoint Jesus with the oil of spikenard, she broke the bottle. She poured the oil out on his feet and wiped his feet with her hair. Remember? And Judas said, why was this not sold and given to the poor? Why was this wasted? And he becomes known as the son of waste. Now, God didn't lose Judas because in the original Greek we understand... That Judas never was a part. He never believed. He never believed. In fact, when he comes back and he throws the silver down uh, for for that he was given for um, betraying the Lord, he says, "I have, I have betrayed a just what man. I betrayed a just man. Who was Jesus?" Jesus was almighty God. Jesus said in John chapter 8 that unless you believe that I am, the ego I me, unless you believe that I am eternal God, you will die in your sins. What the scripture declares. Judas never believed that he was God. Never believed he was the son of God. Just thought he was a good guy. He wasn't a believer. He was the son of waste. He had all the opportunity that the others did, didn't he? How many times did Jesus reach out to him? At the Last Supper, he had him seated at, the left, at his left side. A seat of honor. Jesus said, here, dip with me. Judas, he had all these opportunities to experience the love of God, yet without a changed heart. Why? Because all Jesus was to him was just another good guy. He wasn't who he said he was. He didn't believe. And so... He is lost. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. We want to have the joy of the Lord, that joy of the Lord that is our strength. We need to learn to experience. We need to learn to treat people or view people the way God sees them. And we'll have joy. Nothing will be able to upset the apple cart because we realize that our battle is not with flesh and blood. And if we got a problem with a brother or a person somewhere in the world, that they're one that God loves, that God would reach out to. But at the same time, our battle is not with them. It's with what? Principalities and powers, the rulers of the dark places. It's that angelic demonic battle that's taken place behind the scenes. That's where the the weapons of our warfare are designed. Our weapons are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. They're in Him. It's not with that brother. I need to see them. It's not with that sister. I need to see them with the Lord's eyes that, that that joy that God gives will be fulfilled. Well, look at verse 14. And I have given them your word. Last time we looked at the word, it was rima, the spoken word. This time it's logos, the written word. Now he's talking about scripture. He's talking about the word of God. He's talking about this word. So I have given them your word. Okay, now we're at that sixth part. That sixth part. He has given this word. Well, we want to understand what this word is all about. Folks, turn to Hebrews chapter 4. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says, Now the Word of God, again, that is the Logo, the Logos, the Word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any Ramphala, battle sword, two edged blade. This is the big sword, the Word of God, that big sword, two edged, double bladed, this big (coughs) battle sword, the Ramphala piercing even the division of soul and spirit in the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The written Word of God, the Logos, is that two-edged sword. So we have both working together. The written Word, the spoken Word. The written Word that we read and the given Word from God. The Rima and the Logos. The Rima, a short, precise sword for hitting just the right point. The Word of God for doing those broad strokes. For reaching out with the broad strokes. So this is what he's talking about here. I have given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world. Just as I am not of the world. Now I do not pray that you should take them out of the world... But that you should keep them from the evil one. Not that they would escape. We are much, we can bring much more glory to God by living our lives here than escaping. Three prayers that weren't answered by Moses and Elijah and Jonah Lord, take my life. Forget it. I quit. I give up. Take me out of here. And God said, No, I'm not done yet. There's more for you to do. He's not asking that we would be taken away, but that we would live our life through, that we would experience all that God has for us until the time the Lord brings us home. Not in our design, but in His. So He wants us to be that witness, bearing witness and keeping us from the evil one. What's the evil one want to do? Destroy your testimony. Destroy your ability to reach out. He wants to wipe that out. God says, no. No, I'm going to protect you from him. Nothing touches our life that doesn't pass through the hands of a God who loved you and still loves you. So when we look at the things that touch our life, the hard things, the difficulties, we need to recognize this is something that passed through the hands of a God who loves me, not a God who hates me, not a God that desires to destroy me, a God that desires to establish me. So I want to see that with those eyes. I want to recognize that with those eyes. Where is that found? In God's word, Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you. Thoughts of good and not of evil. To what? To give you a future and a hope. So that's God's desire. That's God's plan. But it doesn't mean that we're not going to go through hard times. We are. We are going to go through those times. But He is protecting us. So as it comes into our life, it's part of God's plan in our life. Allow God's work to do its perfect work in you to develop and train us and make us who God wants us to be. In verse 16, these are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. We're in it, not of it. This place ain't my home. I've seen a lot of nice places here. I'm not willing to trade heaven for any one of them. This place ain't it. That is... Not because of how beautiful or wonderful it is, simply because that's where Jesus is and that's where I want to be. I want to be where he is. I want to be anchored to him. I look so forward to that time when Jesus shared to his disciples in John 14. When he laid out for him, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house many mansions if it were not so i would have told you and i go to prepare a place for you and if i go to prepare a place for you i will come again to bring you unto myself that where i am this is my favorite part you will be also folks that means that at that moment when we are with god we will never again be separated from jesus christ we will always be where he is Man, that's incredible. That's, that's so exciting to me, so wonderful. And then verse 17, as far as we'll go today, sanctify them by your word, for your word is truth. Folks, we've got a world today trying to figure out what truth is. Well, they went out and they decided in 1933 that the humanist movement began. And when the humanist movement began, the first thing they said is, well, there is no God. We must save ourselves. Truth is relative. Truth is whatever you want it to be. (coughs) Unless that's different from whatever I want it to be. And then it's whatever I want it to be. No, truth is absolute. And absolute truth is the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Jesus said, I am the way, the what? The truth and the life. He is that truth. We want to understand. We want to walk. We want to be all that God is calling us to be, submitted and committed to Him. Then, folks, we have to go. We have to glorify God in what we do. We have to finish the work that He's given us. Not what everyone else has given, but what God is calling us to. We must manifest His name. We must live out His nature and attributes. We must live our life in a way that glorifies Him. We must be willing to give the rima, that spoken word. We must be willing to keep those in His name, to look at our brothers and sisters the way God sees them. To allow that to be the mark that carries us. We, we must be willing to give the written word. The word of God. Utilizing both swords. The makira and the ramphala. The battle sword. And that short sword for pre- precise activity. We must be willing to do these. And at least three more. But you have to come back next week to hear them. But we want to be those who are committed and submitted to Him. So God calls us to do certain things. And one of the things that the Lord calls us to is to communion. This morning we're going to have an opportunity for communion. So if the band would go ahead and come on up and and, uh, those who are going to serve would prepare. God's Word lays out for us of all the things That we're gonna deal with in life, of all the things that we're gonna, places that we're gonna find ourselves. He calls us to this. As he was on the road to Emmaus, walking with those two disciples, when was it, when was it that those disciples recognized Jesus? They recognized him when he broke bread. Because that last supper that he had with them. We just studied it a couple of chapters ago. At that last supper, what did Jesus do with the bread? He took the bread and he raised it up over his head and he broke it. And he said, this bread is my body broken for you. And as he passed it out, he said to to the disciples, do this. In remembrance of me. Remember to sacrifice. Jesus also took the cup. He lifted that cup up. And he said this cup. Is my blood shed. For the remission of sin. And he passed that cup. And he said the same thing. Do this in remembrance of me. So this morning, as they're passed out, if you just hold them, we'll partake of them together. We have an opportunity, along with the message, being in that holy of holy places with Almighty God, hearing Jesus converse with His Father, giving us directions on how we can be submitted and committed to Him, laying out those things. We have an opportunity this morning to remember exactly what it is that Jesus accomplished when He said, I have finished the work the Father gave me to finish. Let's worship.